Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is John 12, 20-36. So you can begin looking that up now. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. And so let's read John 12, verses 20 to 36. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And now it's over to the children's talk. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. Now, who can tell me what have we been learning over these last few weeks as we've been looking at John? What does John want us to know? Hannah. Jesus is king. That's right. Can you do that with me? John wants us to know and believe Jesus is king. And we've been meeting a friend of ours. Who's this? Albert. Albert, that's right. Albert, our blue duck. And Albert is very excited. What is he wearing? Goggles. He's wearing goggles, that's right, because today is the swimming carnival at his school. Now, listen, Albert, he's not the greatest mathematician. Okay, he's not the greatest in his class at maths. And he's an okay reader. Okay, he's started to pick up on the letters and he knows the sounds. 
but Albert is amazing at swimming. Did you know that? I think we might have talked about that another week. Albert is incredible at swimming and he can't wait to get in the water. He can't wait to get into the water. He can't wait to race against all of his friends. He can't wait to win. Because, you know, I think he's going to win against Larry the Lion. I think Albert is going to win that race. I think he's going to win against Jeremy the Snail. I don't think there's going to be much of a competition there. He's going to win against Alberta the Frog. Now, that might be a harder race, but he's going to win against Alberta the Frog. Albert and Alberta, they're going to go for it. He's looking forward to being there on the platform. You know how you've got that third, second, first thing and you've got everyone sitting there and they get their medals. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? He's looking forward to being there, number one. He's looking forward to his gold medal. He's looking forward to getting his ribbon. He can't wait for everyone to see him, for him to have the glory because of how good he was at swimming. But then, you know, he went home and he started to read through John, just like we've been reading through John in church. He started to read through John and he saw something very strange. He saw Jesus talking about glory. And he saw Jesus saying that he was going to be at his most glorious. He was going to receive glory when it looked like he was actually at his weakest. He was going to receive glory on the cross. The cross was his hour of glory. Now, we're coming up to Easter, aren't we? And we've been thinking about it. We've been looking at John. We've been thinking about knowing and believing that Jesus is king. And John is saying, and Jesus is saying, that the time where Jesus was most glorious was at the cross. Not when he was winning races. Not when he was up on the mountain and he was changed and his face was all bright. That the greatest moment of his glory was at the cross. Can you think of why that would be? Why would the cross be so incredible, so glorious for Jesus? Kai? That's right. He beat sin on the cross. On the cross, he rescues us. And that is when Jesus is most glorious. When he, as our king, comes and rescues us. So Albert, he was pretty happy that he had won his race. Races, actually. He'd won quite a few races. But then he looked at Jesus and he saw, actually, the thing that's most important is that the king died for us. That is the most glorious thing. That is the most incredible thing. And that is what John wants us to know and believe. So how about I pray for you guys and then you can grab some colour.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for sending Jesus and that he truly is the king who came to save. We thank you that he went to the cross and we pray that you would give each and every one of these kids and each and every one of us grown-ups faith to believe in this good news. Please forgive us for our sin and show us Jesus' glory in the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't we come and we will pray that God will help us to understand even more this part of his word. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe. Our God, may these weak words of mine uh, be powerful as you take them and use them. Lord, these things are spiritually discerned and so we pray that your spirit would indeed be at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Eustace Scrub was the cousin of the four Pevensey children, Peter, Susan, Susan, Edmund and Lucy, who had found themselves in Narnia, uh, battled against the White Witch and become kings and queens. Edmund and Lucy were forced to spend the summer with Eustace, their cousin, where he loved to make their lives miserable. But then they were all, the three of them were all brought to Narnia where Eustace was determined to hate everyone, to be envious, to lie and steal. As they travelled the world by ship, they landed on an island to make repairs after a huge storm. And Eustace walked off, determined to avoid work. He found a dragon's lair full of treasure and there he fell asleep. And as he slept, he was transformed. He thought dragonish thoughts, and so he became a dragon. Suddenly, Eustace was powerful. He could do whatever he wanted. And so how would he use his newfound power? Ironically, it was by becoming outwardly what he was inwardly, that his inside began to change. Once he was a dragon on the inside and a boy on the outside. Now he was a dragon on the outside as well. And that was showing him how bad he really was. As we read this story in John and hear Jesus' words, they're full of irony in the opposite direction. When Eustace became strong... Suddenly he was humbled. But in Jesus' weakness, he is shown to be strong. And it's not just that he recovers his strength. His weakness is his strength. His suffering is his glory. Now, we think that it's all topsy-turvy. How can his weakness and suffering be his strength and glory? But we don't realise that we are the ones who are upside down, not him. This world has everything backward. And if we're going to be his people, we need to live as people of that world, 
not this world. And the way to do that is made clear. We're told, follow the one who died victorious. That's the only way to live right side up. Follow the one who died victorious. And if we're to follow the one who died victorious, we need to understand our first heading in verses 20 to 26. The hour of his glory. Look at verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Up until now in John's Gospel, Jesus has only been dealing with the Jews. Now, in the other Gospels, he had occasional moments with Gentiles, but they were the exception. He said in Matthew 15, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Philip doesn't know how Jesus will respond to this request from the Greeks, and so he goes to Andrew, and together they go to Jesus, and Jesus says in verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The greatest turning point in Eustace's life was turning into a dragon. Until then, he hated everyone, always thinking that people were being cruel to him. But as a dragon, he saw things as they really were, that he had been the crook in the story. And as he saw his dragonish nature or in more biblical terms, his sinful nature, the more upset he grew. Self-understanding and conviction came by being turned into a dragon. But for Jesus, his great turning point was the coming of these Greeks. Until now, in John's Gospel, we've been told that his hour had not yet come, but now the hour of his glory has come. But what is his glory? Truly, truly, I say to you, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. His glory is his death. Now, normally, we think of Jesus going through the shame of the cross and then receiving his glory in resurrection and ascension. And the New Testament does sometimes, probably most of the time, talk that way, uh, contrasting the shame of the cross with the glory of the resurrection and the ascension. But in John's Gospel, all of these events are brought together as one big event linked together. Just think of the cross and all that it achieves and shows us. The cross was where he gave the ultimate expression of God's justice. And it was the supreme example of God's love. Jesus was the sacrifice so sinners could be forgiven while their sin was Punished properly, well and truly punished. It showcased, the cross showcased God's wisdom, his power, grace, compassion, hatred of sin, his mercy. It was the great declaration of who God is. At that moment, when the earth became dark, 
because sin was being judged in Christ. It was then that the light actually shone the brightest. And it also highlighted the submission of Christ to the Father. He even went to his death in obedience, ready to suffer the shame because that shame was his glory. Verse 25, whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, not that Jesus hated everything about his earthly life, but he didn't cling to it. He longed for heaven to be with his father. He was willing and eager to give up everything that he could to be with the Father in heavenly glory again. And the call is made for all of us to imitate him, to hate this life, not love it. Which means without the extreme language of the passage, don't live for the pleasures of this world. Family will disappoint Money will disappear with inflation and with the latest bank collapse. Jobs aren't secure. It will get too hard to travel. Be willing to give it all up for Jesus, for the next life, for heaven. Heaven is what Jesus offers you if you haven't yet come to him. But, he says, you need to serve him, to follow him. You can't just nod your head at him and say, well, he's a nice guy, he's a good teacher, he's a great prophet. You need to believe he is God. He's the only God because that's what he called himself. So you don't get to pretend that you know Jesus better than he knew himself. We live in a culture which says that you can have your truth, and I can have my truth. But don't fall for it. Jesus is who he says he is. And he has authority over you. And for us who say we believe, the question then becomes, will we truly follow him? Have we associated Christianity with the comfortable life? Is church going just a side interest to be avoided when it's uncomfortable? Are we willing to suffer for Jesus following his example? Or will we be distracted from Jesus? Will we follow him or money? Will we cling to him or our hobby which drags us away with more and more time? Will we love this life and forget to live for the next? Will we follow the one who died victorious? The hour of his glory has come. Jesus said that we would receive honour from the Father if we serve him. In our second heading, verses 27 to 33, we turn from the hour of his glory to the fruit of his glory. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Plenty of people are convinced that the gospel writers made it all up. But then you come across words like this. How embarrassing 
for the person that you're pretending is God to say this. If I wrote this gospel, I probably wouldn't have included this, even if it really happened. I definitely wouldn't pretend it happened if I wanted to become the leader of a new religion. But it sounds like what Jesus would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane as the time came even closer to his arrest and execution. It's not surprising as the hour gets closer and closer that he would come back a few times to his troubled heart. That he would contemplate in his human nature praying that God would spare him and then actually praying it when he gets to the garden the night that he's arrested. But his human will submits to his divine will. But for this purpose I have come to this hour, he says. And with that conviction he prays in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Father, show your greatness to the world. Father, show everyone who you are. And it's here we see the first fruit of Jesus' glory as he goes to the cross. And it's the Father's glory. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The Father has already glorified his name by sending Jesus. Jesus, God in flesh, was revealing God, revealing him to be compassionate, powerful, wise, loving, the giver of life. And at the cross, he will show the supreme depth of his justice, love, compassion, grace, kindness, wrath against sin. One fruit of Jesus' death, of Jesus' glory, will be the Father receiving glory. A second fruit is judgment against the world and its ruler, the devil. The world thinks that it's judging Jesus, but God is judging them. There'll be no escape for those who crucify his son. And the devil who rules the hearts of God's enemies will be cast out. Now that might feel impossible. We look at what's happening in our culture, our politics, our media, our families, our workplaces, and the idea of change, the fact, the idea that change is possible, it seems absolutely laughable. The powers that we face seem supreme and it's only a matter of time before we fall. I wonder if you've seen things on the news this past week that have made you feel that way. I know I have. But Jesus says that what looked like his defeat was actually his victory. That his crucifixion was the last nail on their coffin. The world says that we're on the wrong side of history, but when Jesus comes, they will see who is really on the wrong side of history. And a third fruit, he will draw all people to himself. Verse 32. All people. Not every single person. Jesus has already said that not everyone will be saved Not every single person, but all kinds of people. People from everywhere, from all kinds of groups. Jews and Gentiles. 
Remember, the Greeks have now come to him. In Acts, when you turn a couple of pages in your Bible, we discover the church and the gospel expanding, going out to the nations. And that's why we pray for the persecuted church and for unreached people groups, because Jesus said that he would draw all people to himself. Now, how will he do that? If you're a Christian, your experience was a lot like Eustace's. He was shown vividly his true nature. When you became a Christian, you had been made painfully aware of your sinful nature. You couldn't hide from it. Your pride, selfishness, greed, lust, anger, envy, it all came to the surface. One night when Eustace woke up and he saw a lion and the lion told him to follow. He did and he was led to a pool and he was told to undress and, and bathe in this pool. And so he tried his best to claw off his dragon skin. But try as he might, no matter how deep his claws went into himself, they never went deep enough. Nothing he could do could take that dragon skin off. And nothing you could do and can do is able to free you from your sinful nature. No Bible reading, no praying, no church attendance was enough. And so the lion had to do it for him. His claws went in and it hurt worse than anything Eustace had felt. But it felt so good to have the dragon skin torn away. By the cross... We are made new creatures. Our old nature is taken away and we're given a new nature. See, we couldn't do it ourselves. Only Jesus could do it. I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself, Jesus said. His cross draws us. Can you... Explain to people what brought you to Jesus. Even if you've been brought up in the church, what's made you stay? So many people have no idea about Christianity. Can you share with them the simple truth that you are a sinner and Jesus' death saves you? His cross was victorious. It was his glory and brought glory to his Father, judgment to the world and the devil, and salvation to us who believe. And the call is, follow the one who died victorious. Follow him. And what does that look like? Well, he tells us in verses 34 to 36, our third heading, walk in the light of his glory. The crowd around him objects, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? You see, this crowd knows what Jesus has been claiming. He has called himself the Son of Man. And it's clear that he thinks that he is the, the Christ, even if he hasn't said it publicly. 
And so they're confused because they've got certain expectations of the Christ. He's meant to live forever. He's meant to rule on the throne of David over their enemies. And so how can he leave? Jesus tied his glory to his death in verse 24. And so how can Jesus possibly be who he claims to be? The crowd were probably thinking of verses like Psalm 89 verse 4. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. They're confused. See, this isn't how the script is meant to go. But Jesus doesn't answer that question. Right now, reconciling Jesus going and the Christ staying forever, reconciling those two ideas, that's not most important. What's most important is that they walk in the light, that they follow the one who died victorious. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. The time for them to make a choice is now. Jesus won't be with them physically for much longer. If they don't make a choice soon, the darkness will overtake them. They will stumble around blindly. While you have the light, he says in verse 36, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He said that to those who had the light of the world standing there right in front of them. And he says it to us now, as his word is open in front of us, as he is with us by his spirit. Walk while you have the light. Believe in the light. Otherwise, you'll be overtaken by the darkness. Now, if you're a Christian, you might be tempted to think, well, been there, done that, I've obeyed that. But you see, these aren't just evangelistic words. In the Greek, these commands are in the present tense. And that means that Jesus is very deliberately saying, believe and keep believing. Walk while you have the light and keep walking. Because the reality is the darkness will keep trying to overtake us. Here's what Evangelist said to Christian and faithful in the Pilgrim's Progress. Some who set out for this crown, even after they have gone quite a long ways, allow others who come along to snatch their victory from them. So hold fast to what you have and let no man take away your crown. You are not yet out of reach of the gunshot of the devil. How might victory be snatched from you? What temptations is Satan throwing at you like a gunshot? What small step is he tempting you to make or have you already made away from God and his ways? What suffering or trial is he using to draw you away from the one who gave his life? It could simply be the busyness of small children. It could be the lure of pornography. It could be the slow drift 
towards apathy in the face of Jesus' words about his death and his glory, his cross. It could be a growing lack of love for the church, a lessening desire to gather with God's people, a belief that you can go it alone. I've known people who've given up on their church because they didn't like the music or they didn't like the teaching, but they never started going to another church. Now, the Christian life isn't only centred around church. Jesus should be the centre of every facet of our lives, but church is vital. See, all of these are the gunshots of the devil, the darkness overtaking you. Don't think that you're so far down the road that the darkness can't overtake you. Keep following the one who died victorious. Walk in the light of his glory because he came to the hour of his glory willingly and by the cross he purchased your salvation. Don't let go of the one who gave himself for you. He walked those steps, carrying his cross for you. And he was victorious. By his death, his bride has been washed clean. And so keep following him. Keep walking in his light. By his death, he was victorious. Don't go after the honour of this world. Don't go after comfort. Serve Jesus. Follow the one who died victorious. And verse 26, the Father will honour you. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do thank you that Jesus went to the hour of his glory, that he humbly submitted himself to you and to the cross. We pray that this news would fill our hearts and our minds, that we would love you, that we would walk in your light, that we would follow after Jesus and believe in him with all that we are. Our God, we pray that you would help us to hate this life and to love you, to live for the life to come instead of getting lost in the temptations and the pleasures that this life brings. Lord, may Jesus be all in all to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.